1: President and CEO of the Murti Law Firm. Thank you so much for joining us today, and Happy New Year to you and all your loved ones in your work family and in your home family. Today you have two of my esteemed colleagues at the Murti Law Firm, Joel Janovich, a member, and Chris Drynen, a senior attorney, two brilliant colleagues who focus on some of the latest changes in immigration law. Our topic for this month is the Biden administration changes over the past year so that we can quickly go over it, understand what is going on, how we can strategize and plan as business owners or as individuals going through the process in understanding immigration. And as all of us are aware, last January, exactly a year ago, Joe Biden became the president of the United States. The USCIS has continued to be mired in different backlogs, many of the backlogs having been started years earlier with capacity issues. And of course, COVID-19 only exacerbated the problems. We're seeing some improvements, but they're coming incrementally and unfortunately not soon enough for most people. Uh, And while there have been no sort of major changes by congress in terms of new laws or new statutes or regulations there have been many many procedural changes that we three will talk about today the very first one of course is the extension that just occurred very recently of certain requests that are due to the uscis one is uh, the uscis is continuing to provide a 60-day extension for RFEs, requests for evidence, and other similar requests. And this has been in effect from almost two years ago from March, 2020, and it has now been extended to March 26th of 2022. In addition to the 60-day extension, there will now be a 90-day extension for MTRs, which is motions to reopen and reconsider for any decisions that were issued between November 1st, 2021, and March 26th of 2022. So even though there's a little bit of reading room, obviously we recommend people continue to work on the cases, don't procrastinate, and then rush at the end because you want to provide the strongest possible response to try and get the case approved, whether it is for the employer, the employee, the family, because it's all interconnected. Well, the other last point I'm going to make before I'm going to invite Chris uh, Chris and Joe to jump in is that the RFE issuance rate and the denial rates, both for H1s and L1s, have certainly been dropping over the last couple of years since 2020. So with that, I'm going to invite Chris to uh, jump in.
2: Chris?
0: Thank you, Sheila. Um, as everyone who's listening to us, I'm, I'm sure is aware, one of the one of the biggest problems for the past several years, while well, the pandemic has been going on, uh, for everyone has been the the impact on international travel, um, and that is still ongoing. It, it things have certainly not returned to normal at this point, um, but it has has improved to some extent. Um, traveling outside the U.S. continues to be risky. Um, and uncertain due to um, the uncertainty regarding the the course of the pandemic and just ongoing uh, capacity issues and and, uh, travel restrictions that have resulted from from COVID. Um, So just to review a little bit uh, the current policies as far as international travel goes, um, as probably most people who are listening to us know – If you're traveling to the U.S., COVID testing is mandatory. You have to have a COVID test within one day prior to the travel. Um, The good news is there are a number of over-the-counter testing kits for COVID-19 that are accepted for travel to the U.S. to to meet that requirement. Um, Also, of course, if you're a non-U.S. citizen, non-permanent resident, there are vaccination requirements to travel to the U.S. Um, You have to have had one of the accepted COVID vaccines to, to travel. Um, and that's of course very important for everyone to remember these are two absolute requirements if you're coming to the u s um, now, in terms of visa processing and appointment wait times at u s embassies that's been heavily impacted uh, for the whole for the course of the whole pandemic. It is improving, but it still it still is absolutely an issue um, and this varies from country to country, so there is no definitive time frame for every single consular post to return to normal visa processing. So the this will continue to impact the wait times and the appointment availability at each individual consular post. Um, DOS has told us that they're focusing on ca- on capacity building uh, in an attempt to return to normal operations, but there are several constraints on that right now, which is the, uh, the Delta variant, which is still a factor in many places, and the Omicron variant, um, which is currently a, a very big factor here in the United States. And that makes a return to normal normal processing times and normal waiting periods uh, kind of a moving target. Um, right now, wait times for visa appointments vary greatly from post to post. Um, what DOS tells people is to regularly review the visa appointment wait times page, even though it appears that this is not always entirely accurate. Um, and all of us here who, who, who talk to people, particularly who are, who are trying to get visa appointments in India, um, know well that it is very difficult to do right now. Um, if you want to get a visa appointment at one of the U.S. consulates in India, you have to check that visa appointment page regularly because it seems to update sort of at random times. And it can be a very long wait uh, to get scheduled for an appointment. So it's, it's a huge problem right now. It hopefully will, will improve. Um, as of right now, still very difficult to get an appointment, particularly in India, and it requires a lot of legwork on, on the applicant's part to actually uh, find and schedule an appointment.
1: Thank you, Chris. In fact, I think uh, Senthil Kumar from our India liaison office, uh, headquartered in Chennai, and that works in both Hyderabad and Mumbai, said to us that part of the problem is they release those appointment dates, but they're really meant only for emergencies. Their slots, and so they, even if you book it and click on it after six months, it vanishes because it's not meant for regular people. It's meant for emergency appointments. Uh, and so it's sort of misleading and confusing, and I think that's adding to part of the confusion about visa appointment time. But talking about emergency or expedited visa appointment times, Joel, it looks like you wanted to share some updated information with us.
2: Well, so it's always been possible, even prior to the pandemic, it's always been to request an expedited appointment. Um, during the pandemic, uh, I we strongly suspect the number of people who have been requesting them has increased dramatically. Um, but getting them granted is another matter. Um, you need to be able to show a, a, a solid reason, typically backed up by evidence. Um, and the, the reasons can vary. It's certainly, it can be financial. Um, we've, we've seen cases where, um, the business is losing a lot of money because it's individual is required here. Um, certainly for, if you're working, uh, in the medical field, if you're working on something with COVID, I would, I would certainly lead with that. Um, because I, I think that a lot of officers are going to be sympathetic to it, but the reality is, um, getting an expedited appointment can be very challenging, uh, the process. There is no one uniform process, and I think this is a, a good under a, a good kind of um, piece of information in general about the consulates. Usually, the consulates in a particular country, the U.S. consulates, for instance, in India, for, more or less will run very similar similarly to one another. However, the consulates in India do not necessarily run the same way as the consulates in Japan or in the U.K. or or any other country. Um, they each kind of do will do their own things. They'll be very similar. The, the basic law and the basic requirements like the DS-160 are the same, but the method that you would request an expedite appointment may differ from one country to another. So uh, we typically would recommend checking the consulate's website. They'll typically have information there on how to do these types of things. Um, Another thing that we've seen has been prioritization, um, as indicated by the Department of State. So, for instance, for immigrant visas, for people applying for uh, green cards um, at at a particular consulate, um, the Department of State has listed what they are prioritizing, the immigrant visa categories they are prioritizing. Um, There are also certain prioritizations for non-immigrant visas. So, for instance, uh, we've seen students being prioritized a lot of the time. Uh, from the non-emigrant side. Um, Beyond that, again, um, I would check the consulate website. The the general prioritization seems to be the same, but the availability, again, does differ tremendously. Um, Finally, third country nationals. And when we we say third country nationals, we mean if you are a citizen of country A and you're applying for a US visa in country B, some other third country that you happen to be in, um, most consulates traditionally have allowed for third country nationals to apply. But again, that can vary from one, uh, in one country to another. Um, so, for instance, Mexico traditionally has not allowed for first-time visa applicants to apply as a third-country national there. Um, and they've created additional restrictions during COVID. Um, Canada, on the other hand, tends to normally allow third-country nationals to apply. Um, each post is different. You can check with that post to see if they have any restrictions uh, um, but that, when you can't get a, a, a appointment in your home country, if you're going to be able to go to that third country, it may be it may be worth going to look there to apply.
1: Makes sense. Thank you, Joel. And yes, and you know, thank you to both of you for going over sort of the international requirements and what's going on around the world, whether you're an employer, an employee, an individual. Because if your valued employees are stuck outside, then obviously it's going to be harder to figure out uh, how to bring them back into the U.S., and these are different strategies. Now, one of the interesting things that has occurred as well recently is that the U.S. Department of State has actually expanded the cases that they will accept without going through an in-person appointment for a non-immigrant visa. So these are referred to as NIV or non-immigrant visa, NIV waivers, of the in-person interview requirement. Uh, And these have been expanded and the Department of State, in fact, plans to accept up to 20,000 interview waivers just in the spring of 2022 over the next two or three months. Um, And they expect that the expansion of these in-person interviews waivers will continue and last through the end of this calendar year. So just to go over the basic rules, it applies to the H1s, the H3s, their dependents H4s, L visas, O visas for outstanding researchers, P for professional athletes and others, and Q for the Irish people. But these visas, if they meet, uh, visa holders, if they meet certain conditions, like, for example, they must have been previously issued any type of visa, so even if you're applying for an H-1 now, but you were previously granted, like, say, a B-1, B-2 from India, you would technically qualify for the interview visa, the waiver, the, interview, the, the waiver. Second, you should never have been refused a visa unless such refusal was either overcome or had been waived, or if there is no other apparent ineligibility or potential ineligibility for the particular candidate. Next, this first-time individual-based H1 or H3 or H4, L, O, P, or Q, if they are citizens or nationals of a country that participates in the visa waiver program, the VWP, then they are eligible provided that they have no other ap- apparent ineligibility or potential, potential ineligibility. And they have been, you know, previously they have traveled to the U.S. using the authorization obtained via the ESTA the electronic system for travel authorization under the VWP program. Or the person must have previously traveled to the US using an authorization obtained via ESTA to qualify. So, if you fit into any of these, you absolutely should try to get the uh, apply for the uh, visa through like the Dropbox or one of those avenues rather than trying to schedule an appointment which is pretty much non existent or which requires several months or even a year or two backlog. In In person processing, uh, with that, I'm going to invite Chris to jump in and talk about both border travel between the u s Canada, Mexico and about the ban that was recently lifted by President Joe Biden for African countries in South Africa. Chris
0: Thank you, Sheila. Um- a recent uh quite recently actually in at the end of December um CBP Customs and Border Protection announced that the uh what are called the tempor- what were called the temporary travel restrictions um applicable to land borders although they've been around in one form or the other since Mar- March of 2020 um are going to be changed um shortly at, in in January so uh, within the next um Within the next few weeks, I don't believe they've given an exact date yet, Um, but essentially for for since 2020 uh, travel across U.S. land borders has been sharply restricted to people who are not U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Uh, Essentially, it it was it's only been applicable to people who are essential travelers. Uh, But going forward, um, the borders will be reopened to people who can show that they are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Um, again vaccinated with one of the one of the uh one of the the accepted vaccines it's the same list that, that applies to people who are traveling by air so that 's an important an important change because the land borders have been very restrictive uh for several years now so that's going to be a a, a great boon to people who are traveling from from canada or mexico um, mm-hmm. The other thing that happened towards the end of december december thirty first is the White House announced that the travel ban that had applied to eight African countries um, due to the, um, the onset of the Omicron variant are uh, being lifted. Um, therefore, individuals traveling into the U.S. will remain subject to the normal vaccination requirements and, and the testing requirements. However, they will again be able to travel, which is is very important for people from those countries, obviously.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much for that update, Chris. Joel, if I can have you j- jump in and share a little bit of information about the H4L2 EAD automatic extensions, where we stand with that, and any other sort of extensions, I guess, for uh, On healthcare professionals. Yeah, EADs for Sure. Healthcare. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. So, we now have um, a, a change in how EADs are treated for certain dependent spouses, um, in particular E dependent spouses, L2, and um, H4 dependent spouses. So the rule that applies to all three categories is that there is an automatic extension of your EAD as long as you have filed the renewal application before the current EAD expires and the underlying I-94 is still valid. Um, So if you are on H4 and you have an I-94 that's valid for longer than your EAD, um, in that scenario, it, it will help you. Um, for most H-4 dependents in particular, uh, um, we see these all the time. Most of the time, the h four Ninety four expires on the same day as the EAD. So this will have li- a limited benefit. Um, a much bigger benefit is the uh, the rule that came out at the same time based on um, a corresponding lawsuit, um, is that L-2 and E-2 or E-1, E-2 dependent spouses are all going to be eligible for work authorization without an EAD. Um, the, right now, they are working, CBP um, is working on how they're going to distinguish an L2 spouse's um, I-94 from an L2 child, and so they're, they're working on that. They're supposed to come out with a rule pretty soon, within the next few months, um, and just so people understand, the reason that the L2 and the, e, the E1 and E2 spouses are getting this and the H4 spouses are not is that, um, Congress authorized this, um, many years ago for L2 and E spouses. So it's, it's not that they're discriminating per se against the H4s, it's just that the H4s is done by regulation, not by statute. Um, so it, we are hoping that they do more for H4s, but as of yet, um, this is the only provision that's, that's, uh, benefiting them directly as far as this change goes Um, Mm -hmm. something else i think this is is pretty big news is regarding expedited processing of eads for healthcare professionals Um, this is not necessarily a complete change in the rule but they have come out indicating that if you are working in the healthcare industry and your EAD will expire within 30 days, you can request expedited processing, and the indication is that this is going to be pretty liberally um, applied. So one thing to keep in mind, this does not just mean if you are here as a physician or a nurse or something along those lines. If you are working in a healthcare setting, if you're working, um, let's say you're doing IT work and you're doing it for a hospital, you may qualify for this. Um, it's, if you read... The, the memo that came out and the corresponding memo or references from last year—it's written very broadly. So um, there's no guarantee. But if I were uh, an H-1B working doing anything related to healthcare, I would at least request this if my EAD is my current EAD is going to be expiring in the next 30 days. I'm sorry for, for H-4 EADs.
1: Okay, good, good. Okay, thank you, Joel. That's very helpful. Just to get clarification, then, well, because of that lawsuit. There was that where you said USCIS must now provide a 180-day extension for those who are in H-4 status. Now that again, it hasn't. There's been no final rule because people keep asking, when will it happen? What's happening? Any update for us?
2: I think it can be applied immediately, but again, it only applies if you have the underlying I-94. Um, if you don't have a valid I-94, if your I-94 is expired, um, it's not going to help you. So we are so waiting like for more clarification. An egg, yeah. mm-hmm. We are, yeah, we are waiting for more clarification. Well, what if you have a valid H-4 visa stamp and you leave and you come back in and get your um, your H-4 status ex- ex- extended in that manner? Would that work? What if your EAD is still pending? And so we haven't gotten any clarification on that, and that could make a big difference. But as of yet, um, the USCIS has not given any kind of real indication of how that's going to work.
1: Absolutely. Good. Okay. Thank you, Joel. Um, And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the big news that unfortunately that happened like a little over, I guess, a year ago, just over a year ago, where we were, I think everybody, uh, employers, individuals, employees were so concerned about the Department of Homeland Security rule to almost make H-1B allocation in the registration system dependent on the wage levels. For the lottery selection and i know there was panic so the good news i guess with hats, that is your christmas and new year gift for all of us is that the dhs has published a final rule that withdraws uh, the rule modification put forth by the trump administration that would have uh, wage levels relevant in the h1b lottery selection and so the good news is now we're back to the old formula like before where registration uh, will count for just itself and not based solely or primarily on level four and higher wages um, I know Chris, it looks like you want to share something
0: yeah sheila this was a this was a big issue um last year uh this was a this was a rule that that was promulgated um, as a proposal in the in the waning days of the trump administration um which, yeah, as you as you noted, would basically have favored workers at the higher wage levels, and this did cause widespread uh, consternation because this would have been a major change in the H one B in the H one B system, which, um, despite its its imperfections, everyone has kind of become comfortable with um, over the years. Um, so there were lots of lawsuits against this this regulation and mm-hmm. a federal court actually did strike down the regulation uh last fall um based on a, a an unrelated issue namely that it was it was signed by a uh secretary of DHS who was not properly the secretary of DHS um so the the regulation was found to be invalid for that technical reason uh but for some reason that's unclear The Biden administration has actually been defending the regulation in federal court for several months. Um, But this was kind of the last uh, the last gasp of the regulation. The administration signaled they were no they were no longer going to pursue it. So it's as of now, um, this sort of change to the H-1B lottery and the H-1B system is is not in the cards. Not to say it might not happen in the future, but as of right now, this particular proposal is dead.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess because there were so many multitudes of lawsuits, including by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and many employers and businesses, uh, it didn't make sense on the one hand continuing it, but I guess the Biden administration did want to look like they were sort of not protecting, I guess, the U.S. worker and the Department of Labor and trying to ensure the highest possible wage because there's been, in their opinion, abuse and misuse of different immigration legal loopholes, including the H-1 system. So... You know, some of it is optic, some of it is real, um, but there's a lot. So, there's been a lot, you know, as you can hear, as you can understand based on this discussion between Joel Yanovich, Chris Drynan, and myself, there's been a lot of lot of policy and practical and tactical changes that have occurred. With many of the, tra- you know, res- travel restrictions now being slowly lifted, there's certainly room for cautious optimism. Um, and hoping that processing delays will continue to be shorter and shorter. Um, however, as long as the pandemic continues, I think we all need to be watchful and mindful. Uh, and, be, and when you travel, you know you or your employee know, needs to understand, or a family member, that you could get stuck because of changes in laws and regulations between different countries. Uh, Also, within the past year, many of the controversial policy issues by the prior administration, to a large extent, have been either undone or eliminated, like we just talked about the H-1B final selection rule rule based on wage, et cetera, Uh, and especially for H-4 dependents who are waiting for work authorization. Uh, There's a lot of delays still continuing, a lot of improvements on the way. There's hope on the horizon with both the pandemic and with immigration under the Biden administration. Um, and we continue to hope for better news uh, uh, for all of us. But regardless of what happens, all of us here at the Murthy Law Firm will continue to monitor the situation, share developments, continue to take care of you as an employer, you as an individual, you as a family member, to help you, educate you, enlighten you, and empower you with respect to U.S. immigration law changes, and on behalf of myself, Sheila Muthi, and my esteemed colleagues, Chris Drynan and Joel Janovich, and the entire Muthi Law Firm team, we want to wish you a happy new year, and only hoping for better and more positive developments for all of us in the world of U.S. immigration law. Stay safe, stay healthy, and have a great day.
0: This is a free service. The content is the protected, copyrighted property of the Murthy Law Firm. Unauthorized recording or dissemination of these materials without prior permission is prohibited by law. Learn about our firm, how to engage our services, and more at www.murthy.com.